Thank you, Pastor Dave, for that ministry in the Word. We're back to the book of Jude this morning. The emphasis of the book of Jude is the need to fight for the faith and to oppose the false teachers who deny Christ's authority. In verses 3 and 4 of Jude, it reads, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude warns against those individuals that are going to deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the devastating condemnation that is going to come upon them. Well, what do these false teachers look like? What do they actually say? How can we be better made aware of them? In our text this morning, we have three individuals that serve as poster children for false teachers. In Jude chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So these three individuals, as I say, serve as poster children for the kinds of people that we need to be aware of. I'm going to spend a week on each one of these individuals, for they are quite different, and there's a different lesson to be learned from each one. The first has to do with the person of Cain. Cain. We are told that we are not to walk in the way of Cain. What does that mean? Uh, What does that look like, to go in the way of Cain or to follow in uh, in his steps? Cain is an example of one who professes to worship God and yet rejects God's authority. In verse said, verse 4, it says that they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In verse 8, it refers to these people as rejecting authority. Cain serves as an example of false teachers who reject God's authority by seeking to worship God on their own terms and are thus condemned. People who seek to worship God on their own terms and thus are condemned. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, where we're going to be for the primary part of our message. You can keep a bulletin or something here because we're going to be flipping back and forth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, where we have the account of of Cain. Genesis 
Cain is a son of Adam. And Cain rejected God's authority by seeking to worship God on his own terms. The first thing I want us to note from this passage is that Cain, quote, worshipped, unquote, God. In the sense that he was involved in religious activities. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. Now the man, that is Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived, and she gave birth to a to Cain, and she said, I have begotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering unto the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. I'll stop there. Cain worshipped the true and living God in the sense that he was not following a false god. If you look at verse 3, it says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. And uh, you note there the Lord is in all capital letters. When that appears in your English Bible, that means it translates the name of God, Jehovah. So he didn't just come worshiping a god. He came worshiping Jehovah, the living and true God. And he worshipped in the sense that he brought an offering to the Lord, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. So here he is, involved with the, the living and true God, and he comes bringing a gift. He comes bringing an offering. Thus, I'm saying he, quote, worshipped God. However, that offering was different from that which was prescribed by God, verse 3. For it was an offering of the fruit of the ground. And as a result, Cain's worship was unacceptable to God, verse 4. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. God would not look upon Cain or look upon his offering. It was unacceptable. It was unacceptable. Now, it was unacceptable because of its very nature. Verse 3. It's an offering of the fruit of the ground. The offering that was to be brought to God had to be a sacrificed animal. He did not do that. He did not bring a sacrificed animal. He brought the fruits of the ground. Vegetables. Things that he had grown. Abel's offering was acceptable. Verse 4. Abel on his part brought of the firstlings of his flock 
and in their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. The book of Hebrews says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, without the shedding of blood is no remission. But not only was the offering unacceptable, but Cain's worship itself. Cain himself was unacceptable, verse 5. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So God found the offering unacceptable, and he found Cain unacceptable. Why? Because he did not come in faith. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. He offered a better sacrifice. He offered the right sacrifice. And he did so because in faith, he was obedient to God's revelation. Cain, in unfaithfulness, was disobedient to God's revelation and brought an offering that suited Cain, but did not suit God. We need to keep in mind that the New Testament makes it absolutely clear that if we're going to come to God, it has to be through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There is no acceptable worship apart from worship that is grounded in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jude is about. People that deny the Lordship, the mastery, the authority of Jesus Christ. There is no way to be acceptable to God apart from the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to bring our own works We are not to bring about our own way, even though we, quote, call upon the name of God, even though we may mention the name of Jesus, even though we may be very religious. This passage teaches us that there are religious, knowledgeable people that are unacceptable by God. Cain's self-willed response when he found out that his worship was unacceptable to God. Cain's inappropriate response to God. Cain became very angry with God, Genesis 4, 5. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So, Cain became very angry. He became very angry. When he found out that his offering was unacceptable to God, he wasn't repentant. He wasn't sorrowful. He wasn't apologetic. He was angry. Why wouldn't God accept my sacrifice? Why wouldn't God accept me? And so he became angered at God. And secondly, he became miserable. End of verse 5. And his countenance fell. He was sad. But not sad in the sense of remorseful, not sad in the sense of repentant, but sad because he felt sorry for himself. Sad because he was rejected. Sad because God didn't look upon him with enough favor to accept him. And so he was angry and he was sad. So God provides 
Cain with an opportunity to, rep- to repent. God confronts Cain. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Why are you upset? And why are you sad? There's no reason to get angry. And there's no reason to feel sad. God teaches him the right way. Verse 7. If you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? If you do the right thing. If you would simply come with that which I require of you, won't you then be accepted? And in your acceptance, won't you be happy? God says to Cain, why are you making yourself miserable? And why are you making yourself unacceptable? If you just do what's right, everything will be fine. Next, verse 7. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. God teaches Cain that he must resist the temptation to be his own master and to master that rebellious spirit. There's a play on words in verse 7. That you must master it. Cain doesn't want to be mastered. Cain doesn't want God to tell him what to do. Cain thinks that God ought to be more than happy, more than satisfied, that he takes the time to think about God. That he goes to the effort of bringing a sacrifice. I wouldn't have to sacrifice anything. I wouldn't have to be praying to God at all. But I take time. I pray to this God. I come and, and I bring my sacrifice and, and it's not enough. It doesn't please him. And he gets angry and he gets miserable. And God says, Cain, you're being mastered by sin. You're letting sin rule over you. You're letting sin dictate your response. You're letting sin enslave you to the point that you will not repent and experience my forgiveness and come to know my joy. In thinking that you're your own master, you really become the master, you really become mastered by sin. So what does Cain do? Well, Cain takes out his anger upon Abel, verse 8. And Cain told his brother Abel, And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. In verse 8, we find out that that Cain speaks with his brother Abel. What did they talk about that day? What were they saying to each other? What did this conversation consist of? If you have an NIV Bible... It reads as follows. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. Let us go out to the field. 
The NRT supplies the words, let us go out to the field. They're not in the, the Hebrew. They're not in the text. But the NIV does that to make sense of the verse. The translators of the NIV say, well, well he, he said, and then it seems like there's an ellipsis. It seems like there's something missing. So they supply the words, let us go out in the field to explain what he said. The impression that one would have then is that it's just a simple invitation to go out in the field and a ruse to get Abel alone so that he can kill him, but doesn't tell us the motivation. Well, well then, why, why is he doing that? Why, why is he killing Abel? Why, why is he so upset with Abel? The NAS and the King James translates verse 8, and Cain told Abel his brother. If you have a New American Standard Bible, there's a period after brother. The word told speaks of relating a circumstance that had already taken place, namely the sacrifice. So what we find out in this text, and supported elsewhere in the scripture in just a few moments, is that Cain was venting to Abel. Cain was angry. And he was angry to God. And so he then talks to Abel about God's unfairness, God's lack of justice or goodness, speaking evil of things he doesn't understand, which is in the verse previous to our text in Jude. Speaks evil of God. And then attacks Abel. Verse 8. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. What we find out is that Abel sided with God. Abel sided with God. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. He obtained the testimony. He attained the word. He spoke to Cain. When Cain was venting about God not accepting this sacrifice, Abel said to Cain, in essence, Cain, why don't you just offer the right sacrifice? Cain, why don't you just repent? Cain, why don't you just recognize God's authority and do what He says? Which really ticked him off. Which really got him upset. Not only was God finding fault with him, but now Abel's finding fault with him. And he got so mad that he killed him. He killed him. Because he was so so angry at God and at Abel. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. 
Abel's testimony still speaks loud and strong today. It continues to condemn the actions of Cain. And it comes down to us today. Abel was one who contended for the faith. That's what we're supposed to do, according to Jude 1.3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, that you defend the faith, that you defend allegiance to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what Abel does, and he becomes the first martyr in the book of the Bible. The first one that's slain for his faith, slain for his trust in God. We need to understand that there often transpires a hatred that comes upon the child of God that's first directed towards God. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before they hated you. The real problem is not you, it's me. And they hate me. I have long, long, long time ago learned a very important lesson. And that is if people are upset with God, they're going to be upset with the church. If people are upset with God, they're going to be upset with me. It's no wonder. If they're going to find fault with a perfect and holy God, is it any wonder they're going to find fault with me, who am not holy and who am not perfect? So this Cain, who finds fault with God, but he can't kill God, but he can kill Abel. And he does. And so, Cain is condemned for his action. Verse 9. God confronts Cain with a question. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Where is Abel your brother? Now, it's interesting here. Obviously, Cain knows that God exists. Cain's actually speaking with God. That's not the issue. It's his disobedience. And so he lies. Two lies. First, he said, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. He was just here a little while ago. I don't know where he is. He lies. And secondly... He asked the question, Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? That is a theologically packed statement. It screams issues. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to watch out for Abel? It's much more than, am I Abel's babysitter? It's the question, am I Abel's protector? Is it any business of mine? Should I care 
Is it any relevance to me that you can't find Abel? Listen to the words of Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Keep it. Same word. And by my brother's keeper. To keep the garden was to watch over it, was to protect it, to keep evil from intruding into the garden. That was Adam's responsibility. And that was man's responsibility to keep evil from influencing society. It is the very nature of mankind. It is our role to be keepers. Keeping evil from influencing our families, our community, and our world. So Jude 1.3 says, contend for the faith because we're keepers of the faith. We're guardians of the faith. We watch over the faith. It's our responsibility to be sure that the faith that is being taught is the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Cain says, is that my function? Yeah, Cain it is. Yes, it is. You're supposed to be watching over and protecting your brother. Well, he obviously wasn't. And he obviously hadn't. And then we have these words in verse 10. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. I know where Abel is. His blood is shouting to me. What have you done? Cain is silent. Cain won't admit what he has done. He won't confess what he has done. He won't acknowledge the sinfulness of what he has done. He won't submit to God. Verse 11. So God pronounces His judgment upon Cain. Thus Cain serves as an example of the judgment that is to come upon all the false teachers. Verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Here's the curse, verse 12. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Jude 1.5 Now I desire to remind you that you know all things, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Here is the destruction of Cain. This curse is directly related to the heart of Cain's sinfulness. Verse 3, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And so God says, Cain, you're cursed. And you're never ever going to be able to bring that kind of offering to me again. I'm going to see to it that you're not a farmer. 
You are so disrespectful. You are so disobedient. You're going to go your way. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going your way. You're never going to grow another thing. You're going to be a vagrant and a wanderer on this earth. Cain is overwhelmed by his judgment. Verse 13. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Verse 14. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden. He understands the spiritual consequences. He understands what God is saying. He's saying, God, if you're going to drive me out of here, and you're going to make me a, a, a vagabond upon the face of this earth, you're going to drive me from the very thing I love, which is being a farmer, and more than that, you're going to drive me from your presence. And, the end of verse 13, it should come about that whoever finds me will kill me. And that's what most concerns Cain. His physical life. Not his spiritual life. Not his spiritual condition. Not the fact that God is unacceptable. That he's unacceptable to God. And so a mixed blessing comes upon Cain. God spares Cain's life. Verse 15. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. However, the mark is certainly not an ultimate mark of blessing. God says, I'm going to put a mark on you. So that anybody who finds you won't kill you. Now, What's that mark? What mark did God put upon Cain that kept people from killing him? And how would a sign do that? And what was it a sign of? Well, this mark is a sign. Did he put a sign over it that says, says, do not kill? What is that sign? What is that mark? Many older commentators, older, not going back to the early church, but older in the history of the United States, older commentators tended to say that the mark was being black. That there's, there's where black people come from. They're descendants of Cain. And so with that has come a lot of heartache and misery, you can imagine, because there's a lot of theological implication if they're sons of Cain and, and, and condemned, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There have been a lot of injustices, unfortunately, that have come upon the black race as a result of this teaching that the mark was their being black. I think there's nothing farther from the, from the, from the truth. So then what is that mark? Well, let's look at verse, verse 15. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone should destroy him. 
The key to properly understanding this verse is to realize that the word slay does not necessarily mean to kill, but may well mean to intend to kill. The verb is in a tense of an uncompleted action. In other words, this is not saying if a person kills Cain. It's saying if a person attempts to kill Cain, tries to kill kill Cain, then vengeance is going to be taken upon him sevenfold. Who's going to bring about this vengeance? Who's going to find fault? Who's going to condemn? Answer, not God. It's Cain. If you do something to Cain, you better beware that whatever you do to him, he's going to do to you seven times worse. This guy becomes a madman. He becomes ferocious. He becomes unbearable. Wandering in the wilderness. And if you get into his path, look out. And so people stay away. They want nothing to do with them. Now, lest you think I'm reading too much into this, let's look at verse 23. Lamech is a descendant of Cain. He's one of Cain's offspring. Verse 23. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me. And a boy for striking me. He's threatening his wives. He's saying, think about it, ladies. I killed a man. Because he hit me. I killed a little boy. Because he struck me. And now the end of this verse. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. If Cain is going to take seven times vengeance... I'm going to take 77 times vengeance. You think Cain is bad news? Wait till you've dealt with Lamech. He's taking pride in his ferocious spirit, intimidating his wives, and saying, look, you cross me, you get out of line, you're dead meat. Cain and Lamech are marked by a ferocious spirit. But that ferocious spirit is also a sign. It points to a spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth is that they are condemned. It shows the kind of people that God condemns. And it shows the justice of God in not finding favor 
with Cain's sacrifice. Because God knew Cain's heart. And all that God did was reveal that heart. He allowed it to be open, manifest for everybody to see. It became extremely apparent. First, with the death of Abel, and then in this miserable, belligerent spirit that was manifest towards anyone who came into his path. And it's a sign. And it's a sign that goes absolutely contrary to a person who's a child of God. Listen to these words. Matthew 18. Then Peter came and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? Shall I forgive him seven times? You know why he asked the question seven times? Because the rabbis went back and had taught that the lesson from Cain is that as Cain took vengeance seven times, we ought to be seven times forgiving. And so the question is to Jesus, should we forgive seven times? Should we be the opposite of Cain? And Jesus says, no, you should forgive 70 times seven. The opposite of Lamech. The opposite of that evil one. You are to be nothing like him. So, we are to see in these false teachers a mark that is placed upon them. A sign, if you will. We ought to be able to see the characteristics that demonstrate that they are unacceptable to God. One, an unrepentant spirit. An unrepentant spirit. When they come to understand how God is to be worshipped, they refuse to worship Him that way. When people come to find out that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven and you can enjoy peace with God, when they refuse to submit to that teaching, that authority, it's a sign of their upcoming condemnation and destruction. One who is, remar who is marked by anger that comes as a result of the rebuke of the righteous. When you witness to someone and they become upset with you, when they become angry at you, when they say, how narrow can you be? How arrogant can you be? How unrighteous God is. How unfair God is for allowing the hell. How unloving God must be. When they begin to attack God and you defend Him, then you become an object of their wrath. Then you become an object of their rebellion. It is a mark of one who is self-willed and rejects authority of all kinds. 
It is marked by an ingenuine care and concern for the wealth, spiritual well-being of, the, of a brother. As we work through Jude, we're going to see the scripture refers to them as empty clouds. They talk a good line, but there's no substance, there's no reality to it. These are false teachers. These are teachers that pretend to be spiritual, but they can care less about your eternal salvation. And are happy to mislead you. Happy to lie to you. Happy to tell you falsehood. They refuse to be their brother's keeper. Whereas, you see, we are to be contenders for the faith. We're to be our brother's keeper. We are to be concerned for the lost. We are to care that they are dying. We are to care that they're going into a Christless eternity. We ought to act on their benefit and their behalf. And lastly, it's a mark of one that is reserved for a greater judgment yet to come. Cain is miserable and unhappy when his offering isn't accepted. But just notice how that grows. How that grows. He becomes so unhappy that he kills Abel. He becomes so unaccepted that God just kicks him out and says, I don't even want you near me. And he just wanders on the earth and has nothing to do with his family anymore or or anyone else. And as awful as that may seem, it doesn't compare to the ultimate judgment that Cain is going to experience. Cain did not experience a hell on earth. He experienced a precursor to what hell is going to be like. There's nobody who has experienced hell on earth. But there are people who experience a precursor to what hell is like. There are a lot of miserable, unhappy, angry people in this world and they don't even know why they're miserable and unhappy and unagreeable. But one thing marks them. A rejection of the authority of Jesus Christ. When confronted, they won't repent. They won't acknowledge their sinfulness. They won't submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Like Abel, we must contend for the faith. Like Abel, we must stand for the truth. Like Abel, the blood of the martyrs yet speaks. That's such a picturesque statement in the book of Hebrews. When you put it into context, it says that he offered gifts. Abel offered the right sacrifice. And it bugged the daylights out of Cain, and eventually kills Cain. Excuse me, eventually kills Abel. But his conscience, the blood of Abel still spoke. 
it still speaks today. The story is still valid. It's still real. We are to contend for the faith. Some people will be so against God that it means that they will become against us. We shouldn't change. We shouldn't back down. And we should recognize that it's a mark. And yes, some people are so ferocious that they may just drive us away. That they get so angry that they just make it absolutely clear that they want nothing to do with it. Don't you name the name of Christ. Don't you knock on my door again. Don't you bring up a scripture verse. Don't talk to me about these things. I don't want to hear it. It's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. Let's pray. Our Father, we just ask you would help us to contend for the faith. Lord, uh, may we be people who are obedient and recognize the authority, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And may we recognize how subtly it is that people reject that authority. But though it may be subtle on the outside, how deep-rooted it is in sin. For it seems like such a small thing initially that Cain brings a offering of the fruit of the ground. God, many could wonder and say, why wouldn't you accept that? Because you knew his heart. You set that test. And Lord, we're thankful for what it ultimately reveals. That that wickedness was so much more deep-rooted. Lord, may, may we realize that though people can seem religious, call upon God, offer prayers, and bring gifts, that their disobedience is so deep-rooted that they won't ultimately come to acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ in their own lives. They would rather go it their own way. They'd rather do their own thing. They'd rather reject everyone else. Oh Lord, help us to speak to others. And may your spirit bring many to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.